Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you're able to remain standing, please feel free to do so just for a few more moments. Uh, If not, that's okay as well. Either way, let's look at 1 Timothy. We want to read the first seven verses, although we won't get all the way through that this morning. Lord willing, we'll come back and take another look at these same verses again next week. That's on page 991. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, you could grab one from in front of you and turn to page 991, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to begin reading at verse 7 and read down through verse 9. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing uh, in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of uh, the Gentiles in faith and in truth. You may be seated. Father... Thank you for your word, for there are no words like your word. Every word of yours is true. It's good. It's right. It's necessary. It's, well, it's living. It's active. These are not just old true words. These are living true words. And so as we read these words, as we spend these moments together worshiping you before your word, we would pray that you would, by your spirit, do a work in us. You would literally transform the way we think, the way we feel, the way we live in light of what your word calls us to be about. So help us. Might you be pleased over how we come under your word this morning. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2 begins a common thread of of conversation of matters concerning gathered public worship. Don't put your eyes past what we've read this morning. Well, at least that's my request at least. But if if we were to keep on reading all of chapter two, all of it pertains to how we're supposed to act in church. What are we supposed to do? when we gather uh, together, which, which this conversation here of 1 Timothy chapter 2 is really a subset of, of a broader con, uh, concern of not only how do we act as we gather in church, but how do we act as a church. Uh, this would remind us there in verse 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can set your eyes there on 1 Timothy three fourteen and 15. It, it, it becomes like an overriding 
uh, burden for this letter that Paul writes. Uh, I hope to come to you soon, he writes in verse 14 of chapter 3, but I am, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The whole book was written that we might know how to behave as a church, what we're to be about. And, and yet the particulars of chapter 2 is, is it gives some, some uh, pertinent uh, instructions, uh, not only for how we are to be church, but what we are to do as we gather as a church. And the first matter concerning gathered public worship is this matter of public prayers. Look at verse 1 again in 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge you that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all peoples. Really what Paul is laying down here, in other words, is uh, as you gather for worship, I, I want you to engage in all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. There, that's the big idea. I've said it. But we're not done yet. There's more we could think about as we honor the Lord before his word. Two things I want us to think about concerning the all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. The first thing I would just note is the priority of all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. And then, since it's all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, I'm going to take a subset of what kinds of people that were to issue all kinds of prayers for. Uh, and particularly then at verse 2, we're to pray for, for kings and those in high positions. So, so this morning, we look at the priority of all kinds of prayers, and then we'll run to look at a particular expression of all kinds of prayers for all kinds of peoples, a particular kind of people, those who are governing authorities, if you would. So those are the two things. First of all, just something of the, of the priority of all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. He says, first of all then, first of all, uh, not, not meaning first necessarily in terms of chronological sequence, uh, uh, but first in terms of importance, in terms of priority. Maybe as, if you're thinking about, okay, so what's the priority in gathered worship? What, what's, what's like the essentials? What's the non-negotiables? Uh, uh, what's really important? What should feature as prominent? in gathered worship. Well, what Paul is instructing Timothy to do at the church at Ephesus is to make this matter of prayers a prominent, important priority in the gathered worship. I urge you that, and he, he, he lists four terms there, and. I would say those four terms are uh, variated descriptions of praying. Um, on the one hand, they're not um, hard, fast 
categorical differences. Uh, they're overlapping terms. Uh, and yet there are nuanced distinctives uh, uh, in terms of supplications are not really prayers, which are not really intercessions, which are not really thanksgivings. And, and yet all of them together are different facets or dimensions uh, of ways to pray as we make prayer a priority in gathered worship. So, for instance, uh, he begins with, I urge that supplications. Uh, supplications are, are, are just typically what we would de describe them as is they are requests to God for something. Now, that presupposes something. For you and I to ask God for something uh, presupposes that um, there's something that we lack, that we are not enough, that we are in need, that we are needy in that sense. But it also suggests something about the one whom we are acknowledging our need to and the one that we are bringing that need before. And it's acknowledging that, and I think he can handle this. Our culture tells us, you got this. When we gather for worship, we say, no, God's got this. That's why we're happy to gather and worship, because we're coming before the one who's got this. We don't got this. He has got this. And so we, we offer prayers of supplication. We, we acknowledge our incompleteness. We acknowledge our need. We acknowledge our lack. And yet we are acknowledging God's fullness and completeness and sufficiency. Second, not only are, are, does, he, does he mention supplications, but he also uh, 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 mentions prayers, which is probably the most generic term of the four listed here. Uh, it, it, it could be used in a wide range of contexts concerning prayer. So uh, prayers are, well, they're, they're prayers. Uh, I mean, it's just in, in the broadest sense of the, of, of the, of the term. And, and yet, if there's, a, if there's a particular nuance here, and when it, the word prayer uh, connotes not simply need as supplication does, but prayers connotes dependence. Not only do we pray because we have need, but we pray because we are aware that we are utterly, completely dependent upon God. He made us, and uh, we are alive as long as He determines. And uh, the much of the kind of life that swirls around us is the life that swirls around us because that's what he has set in front of us. We are dependent. We are needy, so we offer supplications. We are dependent, so we pray. A third term, intercessions, denotes prayers for the sake of others. When we gather and acknowledge our neediness and our dependence, and, and yet, nevertheless, it's not simply about us, uh, that, that there's others who are needy and others who are dependent. And so we particularly then voice the needs and express the, de de the dependence of others upon the Lord God. We are all dependent upon God, but then we 
particularly turn our focus away from ourselves and we think about the dear needs and concerns that others have. So we pray. We don't just pray for me, 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 but we pray for others. Could be others in the same room. It could be others outside of the room that's never been in the room that was in the room previously but not now we or could never and never will be in the room but we pray for others um, we advocate for others we stand with others and what I mean by advocate and stand with we advocate for them before the Lord we stand with them by bringing them up before the Lord Oh, it's, it's, perfectly, it's perfectly permissible for you to name your own name before the Lord. Oh, but it is sweet to have the privilege to name someone else's name before the Lord. That's a supplication. And then a fourth category, and I don't necessarily even think we should assume that this is the exhaustive list of all kinds of prayers Uh, But it's a sampling list. Uh, The fourth kind is uh, prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of thanksgiving are expressions of gratitude, expressions of recognition of answered prayer, or recognition of bestowed favor. It's grateful. So see, these four overlapping terms, I don't know if you were tracking with me, but, but there's a particular heart posture that, that drives each of these kinds of prayers. Uh, a heart posture that recognizes its need. A heart posture that recognizes its dependence. A heart posture that recognizes others. And a heart posture that recognizes gratitude. All kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. That's a priority for a church when it gathers. When a church gathers, could it pray too much? Oh, I suppose we could come up with some scenario that maybe gets close to that, but I don't think we should worry about that too much. I would say that most likely in our culture today, the problem would not be either in our church or somebody else's church. That Boy, that, that, them people, they gather, all they want to do is pray. They're crazy people. No, probably, if, if we're painting with broad strokes, our inclination would be that even when we gather together, we operate and function as though there's not really even a God to talk to. We got this. We, we can design a service that will rev you up and that will make you feel good about yourself and that will affirm your personhood. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, oh, and oh, oh, I know we forgot something. We forgot God. But Paul was instructing us to make prayers a priority of our gathered time. And it says prayers, all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. And yet, and yet this morning, now next week I'm going to take, uh, the, Lord willing, the, the rest of verses 2 through 7. But this morning I want to take just the, the first example of what kinds of people. Uh, and, and, I, and I want to spend uh, the, 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 our next allotment of time together just kind of 
pulling apart when it says there in the first part of verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. Well, on the one hand, I know this is a year of a presidential election. And I also know that I have no interest to do politicking from this pulpit. But I also know that the relevancy of this first time kind of person that the church is, to, when it gathers to pray for, is we are to pray for government leaders. We are to pray for governing authorities at all levels. Now, I, I, I can only speak for myself, I suppose, but I suspect if you're like me, um, it's not as easy to pray for government leaders when I can have a whole lot more fun running down government leaders. Most of you probably don't understand the degree to which uh, I suffer from an ongoing acute toxicity, poisonous in the uh, toxic, toxic heart. <laughs> Particularly when it comes to things political and governmental. Now, my, immediately fam my immediate family knows that because uh, they've been subject to various and sundry rants. They know that the quandary that I have this year is, should I vote for the jerk who's a crook or for the crook who's a jerk? <laughs> now they say, boy, are you jaded and cynical? Probably am. But at the end of the day, you and I need not be jaded and cynical. At the end of the day, we have a far better option to look at the political landscape and political climate and just come away with a, a despairing, pessimistic cynicism. And the way forward is to simply heed what Paul tells Timothy to do when the church gathers. Take those supplications, take those prayers, take those intercessions, take those thanksgivings, and certainly apply them to all people, but apply them in particular to kings and those who are in high positions. I certainly plan to vote in November. But the priority that Paul has given to us is not simply that we vote in November, but that we pray between now and November. Now, let me, let me frame this and, and explore this a, a bit more for us. There's two things I want to say that I think is a biblical view of human government. Now, these two things that I'm going to say, and in a sense, if, you're, if you follow me or if I even follow my own self, there's a bit of a tension in these two things. The first thing I'd want to say is that human government is ordained by God. We have human government because that's what God wants. 
Human government is ordained by God. I would even push that a little bit further. Particular authorities, governing authorities, are placed where they're placed, when they're placed, by none other than God himself. Thus, for the sake of God, we are called to have a heart posture of living as subjects to this reality, to this political orientation, and to these governing authorities. Listen to what Paul says elsewhere in Romans 13. He says this, beginning at verse 1. Let every person be subject. Who are you and I to be subject to? He's going to tell us. Let, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And now look at what he adds to this. For there is no authority except from God. And those that, that exist have been instituted by God. Why is this person in the position they are in, in this government spot? Because ultimately God has placed them there. It wasn't because of hanging chads, and it wasn't because of late-night additional ballots, even though those may be realities. Uh, ultimately, God rules supremely even over that junk. That doesn't mean that we're not concerned about election integrity. It means that, that apart from the grace of God, we have no hope for any sort of election integrity. That's what honorary people do, is cheat. It's no surprise. And when honorary people who like to cheat figure out they can do more of that as politicians, they get into that. And yet, what the scriptures tell us is that even when honorary cheaters maniacally weave their way into the political process and grab a hold of power, they didn't get that power from nowhere. God put them in the position that they are in. That's why we've got to pray to the one who put them in that position. They didn't get there from nowhere. They, and so if you want to talk to somebody about why so-and-so is where they're at, talk to God about that. He put them there. Now, I, I, I'm thinking of when I, I'm thinking when the, when the Israelites wanted a king, when, and they they and they they went for the tall, dark, and handsome Saul. I mean, us, us little guys never have a chance. The the guy who wins president is always the tallest guy. Well, except for this last one. But anyway, I, I, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But but us runts never get a chance at things. So. And God tells Samuel to tell the Israelites, now this is what this king whom you want will do for you. And, and the optimal description of the king is he will take. He will take. He will take. He will take. You get the theme? A politician cannot provide anything for you or to you that he hasn't first 
acquired and taken from you. So those who promise the most scare me the most. Because where are they getting all that stuff? Us. Now, and yet why, they, why they do that? I, I don't know. Sometimes God gives us what he feels we need. Sometimes God gives us what he's determined we deserve. Wouldn't be above God to even give us a political leader who's a part of the chastening work upon his people. Paul goes on to write that those who exist have been instituted by God. We're still in Romans 13. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist incur incur judgment. So in a sense, we may think that we're... uh, uh, that we're uh, resisting uh, the uh, governing authority. Uh, but Paul is saying, I want you to understand that while that's true in that sense, I want you to tell you there's somebody else that you're resisting as well. Now, I get it. There, when, when, when uh, even submission to governing authorities is not to be taken in an absolute, if governing authorities clearly emphatically ask you to, and I to do something that is opposed to God's written clear word, then we are to obey God over man. And yet, if, if they ask us to do something that we just don't like, we are to obey man because that's what God has asked us to do. And when we don't obey the governing authorities, it's actually God whom we have an attitude toward and a little swagger of rebellion in our hearts in reference to But yet, interesting, this is another thing that Paul says in Romans 13, for rulers are not a terror uh, to good conduct, but to bad. And this is, this is Paul in some of his typical brilliance here. And that is, on the one hand, he's called for believers to submit themselves to ruling authorities because God has put them in place. He's also, in, in, a, sense, in a sense, as he often does, he's also addressing these governing authorities to remind them that the God who put them there put them there for a reason. For rulers are not a terror, at least they better not be a terror. I think that's the implication there. Not, there to, rulers are not a terror to, to those who engaged in good conduct, but bad. He goes on to write, uh, would you have no fear of, of the one who is in authority? Then, uh, what, uh, what, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. I wanted to end at that. You're good. We'll come back to that in Timothy in a moment. Paul has just, Paul has just, for lack of a better word, dressed down the politicians and the government leaders in his day. Which I would by the way, I just remind you. You'd say, well, yeah, Paul wrote that when governments were good. Huh. Has there ever been a time? I mean, well, you guys read history? The stunts and shenanigans that politicians pull, to, pull today is not anything that is ex- extremely out of the ordinary. 
And part of what I want you to realize is that you can't trust these people. But part of what I want you to hear is, and you are not asked to trust these people in the same way that you are required to trust in the Lord who has put those people in their place. That's why at the end of the day, even Joe Sinek doesn't have to be pessimistic. Because the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1, says the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wills. And you see that. You see that played out in Scripture. There are times when the, when the most obnoxious, uh, crooked government leader is actually used by God uh, to, to provide for God's people, to protect God's people. To, you know, just read through the book of Acts and see how government, uh, um, uh, God leveraged government for the good of Paul to get Paul to accomplish the work of the Lord. Or as what Jesus said to Pilate, when Pilate's kind of throwing his swagger around like, I can either take you out or I can, uh, I can let you go, buddy. What do you say? And you know what Jesus says? This is, this is why he gets, this is, this is like, man, you're not helping yourself. You're going to get killed. You keep talking like that, you know. He, he, he says to Pilate, who's trying to give him a way out, if he would just like, you know, you know, Placate Pilate, he says, uh, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You can't do anything to me unless God says you could do it to me. Now, I take us on that excursion and I tie it back in to remind us, why would Paul tell Timothy to have the church at Ephesus Make as a matter of priority all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, and yet the first name in the docket is those who are in government positions, those who are government leaders, those who have governing authority. It's not because, while they're either in Paul's time or in our time, that we're talking about good people. But that we understand, even when we're talking about people who are not good people, we are doing that in the context of a good God who controls all peoples, even not good people. Most of the leaders in the Bible, even though we are told to submit to those governing authorities, why? Because God put them there for such a purpose and such a time. But most of the government leaders are not framed in flattering terms. So we don't have to be Pollyanna or naive about this. And, and yet at the end of the day, it is not the lack of goodness in government leaders that determines how we think about them and think about their position and think about our relationship and think about our uh, honor and submission to, 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 to them. We would go to God. And we would pray. 
Now, I know I'm probably casting this in the notion that you would be tempted to say, well, Joe says we shouldn't do anything but just pray. Oh, and I don't mean that at all. There's lots of things that the scripture might direct us to do in addition to praying. My concern this morning is that we are often inclined to attempt those other things and then some more things and do anything but pray. So while we would never do just prayer, we would always do prayer. And whatever else that the, that the Lord in his word would direct us to do and to engage in the political process or, or, or to be faithful uh, citizens of the nation that the Lord has placed us in, that we would in fact be that salty salt and that lighty light uh, uh, before the world. But, but we would do that not because we say, well, I'm not going to pray, I'm going to be this and that. No, we would first of all pray. We would first of all lift them up. We would lift them up with uh, supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings and all kinds of prayers uh, for all kinds of politicians. And then he says, then he appeals to us. He said, and this is why you guys ought to think about doing this. Because by not doing this, you have to ask yourself, how's that working for you? How's that working when uh, rather than going to the Lord and praying, uh, you uh, watch the nightly news and you elevate your blood pressure because uh, now you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to get on social media and you're going to wax eloquently and you're going to get a little social action group going here and, and you're going to work yourself into a frenzy. Uh, and, and it's like, how's that working for you? Have you really done anything yet? Other than expend a lot of hot keyboard keys and a lot of hot air? He, he says... Uh, for all kings and those who are in high positions. And he says that, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What he's, he's appealing to us. He says, how about if you guys do it the way that I'm laying it out for you here, that rather than just be the cynical, pessimistic in terms of government leaders and politicians, uh, how about if you approach my throne in reference to them? How about if you offer all kinds of prayer for all kinds of politicians? Here's what will happen if you're inclined to do that. your existence will be characterized by more and more peacefulness and quiet. Now, how many of you don't want that? I didn't think so. There's only three of you who didn't want that. So, Some of you like to live on the edge of drama. I get that. So, But what I would suggest to you, while I think you could go to a passage like 1 Thessalonians, where it talks about mind your own business, make it, make it your ambition to mind your own business that you would lead a quiet life. I, I think in, in Thessalonians, the quiet life is describing a personal quiet life, which I want one of those too. But here in Timothy, I would suggest to you he's not referring to a personal quiet life. He's referring to a corporate quiet life, that if the church, when it gathers, if it offers all kinds of prayers for all kinds of politicians, then God says, uh, I will hear those prayers and I will grant that 
body, that assembly of believers, um, what he describes here as peace and quiet, which I suggest to you that it, that being framed in a corporate sense, and th- that is that um, that the churches would be free and safe to carry on the business that the Lord has commissioned churches to carry on and carry out. Again, in a subtle way, I I I I I think he's um, talking to government officials here by saying, and by the way. By the way, it is in your best interest to protect and keep churches safe. It is in your best interest to, to keep them from being persecuted and harmed. That's why I even put you there in the front. You've been given the sword to do good, to address bad. So people who live good lives shouldn't have any run-ins with you. You should protect them, in fact. Our bent is to seek the Lord. Our bent is to pray to the Lord. Our bent is not to just simply work ourselves up into a a frenzy, godless, uh, um, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, panic. But we pray to the Lord on behalf of the government leaders so that we, as a gathered church, could be about the business that we as a gathered church are to be about. And our business is not primarily uh, to coordinate the next political action group. Our business is to disciple people in every nation. Our business is to, to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that people might come to see their need for Jesus and repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then our business is to teach those who profess Christ to practice and to observe all that Jesus has commanded them to do. And if we are allowed to do the work that the Lord has commissioned us to do, that, and the government does the work that it was commissioned by the Lord to do, then we could do that, it says here, in a godly and dignified way. We could do that with a proper uh, recognition of God, and we could do that with a proper respect for our fellow man and each other. So see, there's a lot at stake on whether or not when we gather, we pray. And there's a lot at stake whether or not when we gather to pray, we pray, first of all, for the kings and those who are in high positions. May our hearts be confident in the God who rules. May we be able to Testify the same way, probably this is the words of what it was arguably the, the smartest thing that a politician has ever said in his life. The words of Nebuchadnezzar in, chapter, in Daniel chapter 4. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says about God. May, may God move upon the hearts of political leaders. May God move upon the hearts of his common people that we would think the same way. Nebuchadnezzar said this, Um, I, I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever 
for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. For all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does uh, according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Oh, Father, This is the kind of God that you are. And Nebuchadnezzar was correct. Father, may we see you as the same sort of magisterial, mighty, majestic, ruling, sovereign that Nebuchadnezzar did. May we feel our need. May we express our dependence. May we lift up others, and may we have grateful hearts in your presence. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.